On this episode of the Advanced Foundations Podcast, Setting the Captives Free will encourage you to use the tools of your own personal freedom to help others experience their own personal victory to be all God has called them to be. Welcome to Setting the Captives Free. This is session two, and I'm really excited about sharing this with you. Uh, We basically need to, we talked about last time about the ministry of Jesus, Luke 4, 18 and 19. That was his ministry. He came to set the captives free. That's what he did, that's what he does, and that's what he is going to continue to do. The way he does it is that he does it through us. It's exciting to think that we get to participate with him. So chapter two, I want to start with this, the fact that all of Jesus' disciples were commissioned to minister and do what he's told them to do. So I want to prove this to you. I want us to go to the Word. So if you have your Bible... Or if you have your electronic device, and again, I'm reading from the New King James Version, but every one of Jesus' disciples, he basically commissioned to, to go and do his stuff. Uh, this is, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And then in verse 7, it says, As you go preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, I know immediately I've heard this as, well, yeah, those are the disciples. Obviously, the disciples were commissioned to go do that. True. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. This is Luke's account of the same thing. Verse 1 says, He called His 12 disciples together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Okay, so you say, well, I'm not one of those original disciples. Well, look at chapter 10 of Luke. Verse 1 says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. And He sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Verse 2, he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I don't tell you if Jesus were here today, he'd say the same thing. The problem is not with the harvest. The problem is not with people that need to get saved and born again and filled with the Spirit and set free. The problem is that the laborers, that's us. We're supposed to be laborers. Let's just go out and represent him. Verse 9 says, he, he told them there to heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, so not only were the 12 commissioned, but he's commissioned 70 others. Exactly the same commissioning. Now, I want us to go to um, Matthew 28. Now, you should all be familiar with this. The very end, we call it the Great Commission. Verse 18 says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the 12 were commissioned, the 70 were commissioned, and now he's basically saying, Now I want you to go. And this this hasn't stopped with the 12 or the 70. This is for us. And let me go again. This is the end of Mark. And we'll begin reading verse 15. He says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. 
He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these times will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, by it by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So clearly, Jesus is, he, not only did he demonstrate this ministry, but then he told his disciples to go represent him and, dem- and demonstrate his ministry. And then he commissioned 70 others. And then the last words are, look, I want the, all those who believe, whoever believes, these signs are going to follow those who believe. This is what God wants us to do. But if you're not convinced yet, I'm going to turn to John 17. Now, John 17 is, is really Jesus' prayer to Father. And he is giving a report to Father about all the things that he's done and what he's accomplished, and uh, talking about the 12. And in verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I've also sent them into the world. So again, the whole point is that Jesus sends us. We are sent ones. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, this is after the resurrection. He said, peace to you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And then, of course, in Acts 1, verse 8, it says, don't go. Now, after he's already told them to go, don't go until you're dued with power from up on high, because you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is God's plan. Always from the very beginning, his design for Adam and Eve in the beginning was that they were to be fruitful, they were to be multi- they were to multiply, fill the earth, subdue, and have dominion. Basically, if you look at that and break it down, they were to allow their relationship with the Father to cause them to grow in relationship with Him and represent Him. That's what they were to do. They obviously did not do that. The sin entered in, and they in the garden in Genesis three. But God has never changed His mind. He still wants us to represent Him on earth. So again. I said last session, Jesus came to model for us and to live for us. How does a man live empowered by the Spirit doing the will of the Father? What does that look like? That's what Jesus did. So not only did Jesus come to set the captives free, he set us free. But then he's saying, look, I want you to keep extending this ministry. And that's why it's so important for us to recognize that we have been commissioned. We have been called into the army of God, literally the the kingdom of God. Let me look at some other scriptures here. Colossians 1.27 said, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you really understand that not only have we been commissioned, but his presence comes and lives in us. So literally, we're, we're his representative. He wants us, we're to be light and salt. He says, let your work so shine, let your light so shine among people that they would see your good works and then glorify your Father in heaven. So we're carriers. Remember the, the end of Matthew 28 it says, lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. He has promised to not leave us. He has promised in John, he says, I'll not leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. And he has by the Spirit. So it's Christ in us is the hope of glory. This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reason I'm sharing these is because when we've been commissioned, but we've got to recognize that, wait a minute, it's not about my strength, my power, my anointing. It's about him. He lives in us. What Paul is saying here, he goes, look, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, it's not about me. It's about the Christ in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I'm going to live by faith in and of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this next passage, uh, I'm going to read, it's a little longer. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So first question is, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, then you're a new creation. You're not fixed, patched up, repaired. No, you're a completely new creation. Old things have passed away, but behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is, this is really huge. What Jesus did by going to the cross is that he paid our debt he forgave our sin so we could be restored to Father. It was God's plan from the beginning, and Jesus carried it out for us so that we could be restored to a relationship. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now let me just take just a moment here. What this is saying is that God the Father was in God the Son, and the whole point of Jesus' ministry was to forgive us and make us righteous so we could be reconciled to Father. The relationship that was lost in the garden, that we could be restored to a relationship with Father. That relationship is called reconciliation. We have been brought into, we have peace with God through the blood of the cross, is what the word says. So we've actually been restored to a relationship. So he says, okay, now look, this is how it was. God was in me. Jesus is saying this. He was in me. I'm out here doing the work. But the whole point of this, it was God himself reconciling the whole world to himself. It was his plan from the beginning. Talking about setting the captives free. His plan from the beginning. And he says, now, okay, now, now then, now then, you're an ambassador for Christ. As though God were pleading through you. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. So what Jesus is saying is, what, what really what Paul is saying here by the Spirit is that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world, making the sacrifice and whatever is needed to be sure that people were restored to a relationship with Father. So he's saying, okay, now you are now ambassadors. You are an ambassador for what? for a king, for a kingdom, for a nation. That kingdom is heaven. Now, just as Jesus was a representative of Father, you now are an ambassador, a representative 
for him too. Just as Jesus went about setting the captives free, now you go do the same thing. You follow in his pattern and you represent him to do what? To help people come into relationship with the living God. He has dealt with the sin issue, and now our our job is literally to do the Luke 4, 18 and 19, to go set the captives free. We'll look at this again in detail, but you think about what he said is to proclaim liberty to the captives, to preach the good news to those that are, all those things are about speaking and telling people, proclaiming what's already happened. What Jesus has done for us at the cross, all of this was for us. And so this is what we get to do. So we are ambassadors. An ambassador is a representative of a nation living in another nation. But he lives in the full rights and authority of the nation that he was sent for, sent from. And so we've been sent. We've got the kingdom of heaven in us as we are representatives of him. Now, when we talk about representing Christ, I want to just, I want to take a little, little part here yeah, listen, the real ministry is love. Uh, I can talk about setting the captives free and healing the sick and casting out demons and doing the works that Jesus did. But if you really boil it down to the really the lowest essence, it's all about love. First John 4, 8 says that God is love. Um, John 3, 16, which I'm sure you should know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God loved. God is love. He loves us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, the first part there says that love never fails. If God is love and love never fails, then love's the most powerful force there ever was, there ever will be. There is nothing greater than love. Now, the reality is that most of us don't really believe that. We don't really believe that God's love for us and us choosing to love him and love one another is the greatest, the greatest there is. There's nothing greater than love. And I mean, we've been raised in a society where power, uh, money, prestige, glory, uh, you know, the, the strong and the mighty. But the truth is, if love never fails, then love's the greatest force there is. And so what God has called us to do is to, to recognize his love. This is 1 Peter 4.8. Above all these things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So my reason I'm taking this time before we really get into the talking about walking through these different steps is because if we don't move in love, we have nothing. No matter, no matter how much power gives or anointing or, or, or what you can be used to do, the motivating factor has to be love. It says that Jesus moved in compassion. Well, he is God and he is love. But the truth is, is that the compassion is what propelled him. He was moved with compassion to release healing. He was moved with compassion. So God is wanting us to do the same thing. He wants us to represent him. He wants us to, to be filled with his love so that we can release his love. We say, make this statement, you can't give away what you don't have. If I don't know his love, I can't extend his love. And so the biggest problem we have is really first, it says freely you've received to the disciples, freely you give. If you freely receive, you can freely give. So what first and foremost, if we're going to represent Christ, if we're really going to set the captives free, we got to be filled with his love. 
It said in the earlier session that when Jesus was water baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him and said, you're my beloved son and you are well pleased. I mean, wow. He hadn't done anything. He had healed anybody and preached the gospel. He hadn't got anybody in the kingdom of God, nothing. But the father said, you are my beloved son and you are well pleased. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to know his love. Because here's the real issue. If we're going to help people get free, probably the greatest need, obviously we need to be born again. But after being born again, filled with the Spirit, people need to know the love of the Father. The greater revelation that people have of the love of the Father, the greater stability they will have in their lives. For when the storms come and that wind blows and the rain descends and all these things happen, what we've got to be grounded in the reality, my Father loves me. He doesn't love me for what I do. He loves me for who I am. He loves me because He is love. And that is such a profound thing. It's simple, but it's profound. And we need to be filled with that love because I'm telling you, people that we're going to be ministering to and we're going to be talking to and we're going to be loving and our neighbors and relatives, they need to love the Father. And it, we can help them get free and we can help them get out of bondages and we can help them break the, that depression and uh, we can, some can get physically healed. But what we all need is a revelation of the love of the Father. God is love and He is good. And he is good all the time, and he is perfect love. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? I, I mean, just think about that for a moment. God's love is not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. It's not just words. He demonstrated it. He went to the cross and died for us. Oh, oh yeah, and by the way, while we were still sinners. Isn't that amazing? You know, just think about that for a moment. We didn't first get right, and then he went to die for us. He died for us while we were still lost in our sin. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? That's a very interesting question. If he didn't spare his own son, but in fact delivered him up for us all, then why would he keep something else from us? His precious son, Jesus, he gave, is a living demonstration of love. So the question that Paul is asking us here in Romans is that, okay, if God didn't, restore, didn't keep his own son back, which is the greatest gift he could give, there is no greater gift than one to lay down their life for a friend. He laid his life down. He could have spared him. If he didn't hold him back, but in fact delivered him up for us all, how will he not give us all things freely? So the real problem here, and I, I admit myself, a lot of times when I'm not sure something's going to happen, why would I doubt that when he's demonstrated his love? The truth is, I need a greater revelation of his love because he's perfect and he is perfect love. So, wow, Ephesians 2 Four and five says, but God who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ by grace. You've been saved. <clears throat> great love with which he's loved us. Great love. 
His love is great. But I mean, it's a great love. So the point is, is that he so loved us when we were sinners. You think he's changed his mind after we come to know him? No. So we need to know his love. Now, we're going to talk about this throughout because really the ministry is love. Um, that's really what God's called us to do. When Jesus walked on the face of the earth, I, I don't think we have any idea the love that he radiated. Sinners were drawn to him. They were not repulsed. They, were not, they didn't feel condemned. They were drawn to him. They were drawn to life. They were drawn to that love. It's a love that it's not about us doing something. It's about us being something. It's about us receiving his love and being filled with his love so it bubbles out. So, it, so we, we are an essence of his love. We, we just release his love. Wow, does the world need to, need to know that? Right now, the world needs to see a living demonstration of his love. And that's what he's called us to do. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to help us to literally be so filled with his love that when you're punched, kicked, and goaded and all kinds of stuff, love comes out. Now, I want to finish this. And I encourage you, it's not in the manual, but this is Ephesians chapter um your chapter a three, verse 14. And this is a prayer that uh, Paul puts this into the book of Ephesians. We have it recorded here. And the reason God puts this in here is because God knows what we need. He wants us to pray this prayer, and he wants us to believe that he wants to answer this prayer. Now, I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to pray for us. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in you, in your heart through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So let me just stop there for just a second. He's praying that we'd be strengthened with his might in the inner man, but he's also praying that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Now, why this is so important is because it, think about a plant. If, if I'm a plant and I'm rooted and grounded in love, then I'm going to be nourished by love. And more than likely, that's what's going to come out. So his prayer is, is that, look, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be grounded in love. Jesus in the expressed love of the Father. I want you to be so rooted and grounded, and then, but he doesn't stop there, because I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of God, which passes knowledge, which may be filled with all the fullness of God. So you think about that. Anything that the width and length and depth and height, there's no end to that. It's just, it just keeps going. Why? Because God's love keeps going. There is no end to it. You don't arrive at a place and, well, I got that. No, you do get born again, but you never, there's no end to the love of God. He loves us. He has called us for a time such as this. So the prayer is that we'd be rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend, apprehend, I'll say that word, with all the saints, what is this unmeasurable, unlimitless, 
There's no stopping of his love. There's no limit to that. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. So his prayer is that we don't just know about his love, we experience his love. See, true love is, is, a, is an emotion and feeling. Also, it's a sacrifice. God love is a sacrifice. Jesus laid his life down, but it's also for us to experience. So he's saying here, I want you to be filled with the fullness of God. In verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want to pray for us. I encourage you, highlight this prayer and pray this and believe that God wants to answer this prayer in your life. If we're going to do the works of Christ, if we're going to... Walk in the fullness of Luke 4, 18 and 19. If we're going to receive that ministry and at the same time release that ministry, which I know he wants us to do, I've been sharing this entire session, he wants us to be used. We've got to be motivated by love. To be motivated by love, we've got to be recipients of his love. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you so much that you have loved us while we were still sinners. We thank you, Lord, that you've given to us everything that we need. And Lord, the greatest thing we need is your love. We thank you, Lord, that you've told us to pray. And we do pray. We want to be rooted and grounded in love. And we want to be able to apprehend your love. Not just know intellectually, but we want to experience the, the unlimitedness of your love. No bounds. Wow. And we want to move with compassion the way you moved with compassion. We want to see people set free. We want to see people delivered, healed. We want to see people come into relationship with you. And Lord, but we want to be supremely motivated by your love. Your love for us and our love for one another. There's no greater command than to love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second you said is like it, that we love one another as you've, we love ourselves. And you then tell us in John 13 that a new commandment is that we would love one another the same way you loved us. You laid your life down. Father, I pray that we'd be a people that'd be filled with your love. Now ask him wherever you are to say, fill me with your love. Come Holy Spirit and fill us from the tip of our toes to the top of our head with your love. no limit. I pray, Lord, it's not a one-time deal, but it's an ongoing revelation. Help us to be rooted and grounded in your love. Lord, we love you. We are so grateful that you loved us first. And we bless you and we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this timely message. Pastor Terry and Susan Moore had a life-changing encounter with the Lord in August of 1982. They opened their home to a Bible study, which turned into a church now located in Carrollton, Texas. They have never been the same and hope that you encounter Christ in a real way. For more, connect to jterrymore.org.